Notes on Earthquakes by Richard A. Proctor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Earthquake of Calabria. No earthquake has ever happened, the circumstances attending which have been so carefully noted as in the case of the earthquake of Calabria in 1783. This celebrated earthquake began in February 1783 and lasted until the end of 1786. The first shock threw down, quote, in two minutes, nearly every house in all the cities, towns, and villages from the western flanks of the Apennines in Calabria Ultra to Messina in Sicily and convulsed the whole country, unquote. The second took place seven weeks later and was scarcely less violent. Sir Charles Lyell mentions that the great granite chain which passes through Calabria from north to south and attains the height of many thousand feet was shaken but slightly by the first shock, but rudely by those which followed. The manner in which a large extent of country was permanently affected by this earthquake is very well worth noticing, as affording an excellent illustration of the mode in which earth waves travel. The Apennines are formed for the most part of massive and hard granite, with steep inclines, upon the base of which lie those strata of sand and clay which form the Calabrian plains. These plains are usually level, but are intersected in places by narrow valleys and ravines whose sides are almost vertical. The effect of the earthquake was to shake down those parts of the Calabrian plains which border on the granite backbone forming the Apennine Range. The soil slid over the solid and inclined nucleus and descended somewhat lower, says Lyell, leaving almost uninterrupted from St. George to beyond St. Christina, a distance of from 9 to 10 miles, a chasm between the solid granite nucleus and the sandy soil. Many lands slipping thus were carried to a considerable distance from their former position, so as entirely to cover others, and disputes arose as to whom the property which had thus shifted its place should belong to. The whole of the country over which the effects of the great shocks extended was at times heaved simultaneously like an angry sea, and sensations resembling seasickness were experienced by many of the inhabitants. Those who have watched the sky from the deck of a sea-tossed ship will have noticed that the drifting clouds seem at times to be arrested in their motion. It is in reality the ship which is moving for the moment in the same direction as the clouds, and thus neutralizes the effects of their motion. The same phenomenon was observed during the Calabrian earthquake, and nothing serves to give us a stronger impression of the turbulence of those internal heavings which make the dry land as unstable as the billows of a swelling sea. Trees whose roots continued firmly embedded in the soil were seen to lash the ground with their branches. It will be evident that the seat of disturbance was beneath the rocky ribs of the Apennines. The superincumbent soil was swayed with violence by the vibrating mountain slopes, but the chief mischief followed when the vibration ceased. For then the soil to which motion had been communicated began to slide over the now stationary granite, and this sliding motion being quickly checked by the irregularities of the rocky substratum, there resulted a destructive shock to all objects, houses, trees, or living creatures, upon the shaken plains. One may illustrate the nature of the shock as follows. Suppose a small tablecloth to be lying on a large table with raised edges, and that a variety of objects stand upon the cloth. Then, if the table be shaken with a gradually increasing violence, these objects may continue in safety, provided the motion is so managed that there is no abrupt change of direction, and no sudden increase or diminution of velocity. 
If the motion of the table be suddenly checked, the cloth would not immediately lose its motion, but would slide until it was stopped by the raised edge of the table, and objects on the cloth would move with it until its motion was checked, when they would receive a shock more likely to be destructive than any which had been communicated to them while the motion of the table continued. And just as such a cloth would rumple up as soon as the motion of one end was checked, so the soil of the Calabrian plains was found to be in some parts abnormally raised, in others as strangely depressed. In the town of Terra Nuova, says Sir Charles Lyell, some houses were seen uplifted above the common level, and others adjoining sunk down into the earth. In several streets the soil appeared thrust up and abutted against the walls of houses, a large circular tower of solid masonry, part of which withstood the general destruction, was divided by a circular rent, and one side was upraised, and the foundations heaved out of the ground. As might be expected, the soil did not continue unbroken by the violent shocks to which it was subjected. In the central parts of the disturbed region, the earth opened so widely as to swallow up large houses. In Canamaria, many buildings were completely engulfed in one chasm, insomuch that not a trace of them was ever seen afterwards. So violently did these chasms close their yawning jaws that afterwards, when excavations were made for the recovery of valuables, the workmen found the contents of houses crushed into a compact mass with detached portions of masonry. In some instances, persons were engulfed by one shock and thrown out again alive by the following one. The magnitude of some of the fissures which were formed during this earthquake affords startling indications of the tremendous violence of the earth's internal throes. Grimaldi observed in the territory of San Fili a newly formed ravine half a mile long and twenty-five feet deep, and another of similar dimensions in Rosarno. In the district of Plezano, three enormous fissures were formed, one a quarter of a mile long, about thirty feet in width, and two hundred and twenty-five feet deep, the second three-quarters of a mile long, one hundred and fifty feet broad, and one hundred feet deep, and the third nearly a mile long, one hundred five feet broad, and thirty feet deep. If any evidence were required as to the true nature of the disturbance, it would be found in the remarkable motions of masses slightly attached to the surface soil. Paving stones were flung into the air, and masses of loose soil flung in showers over the surrounding objects. In this earthquake, 40,000 persons are supposed to have perished, and about 20,000 by the epidemics which followed. Dolomieu gives a painful account of the appearance of the Calabrian cities. When I passed over to Calabria, he writes, and first beheld Palestina, the scene of horror almost deprived me of my faculties. My mind was filled with mingled horror and compassion. Nothing had escaped. All was leveled with the dust. Not a single house or piece of wall remained. On all sides were heaps of stone, so destitute of form that they afforded no idea of there having ever been a town on this spot. The stench of the dead bodies still arose from the ruins. I conversed with many persons who had been buried for three, four, or even five days. I questioned them respecting their sensations in so dreadful a situation, and they agreed that, of all the physical evils they endured, thirst was the most intolerable, and that their mental agony was increased by the idea that they were abandoned by their friends, who might have rendered them assistance. The destruction of the Prince of Sayela and a great number of his vassals was one of the most remarkable events attending this deplorable catastrophe. 
He had persuaded his servants to seek their fishing boats for safety and went with them to encourage them. During the night of February 5th, while they were sleeping, an enormous mass of earth was flung from Mount Jossi upon the plain near which the boats were moored. Immediately the sea rose more than twenty feet above the level of the plain. Every boat was sunk or dashed upon the beach, and hundreds of persons who had been sleeping on the plain were swept out to sea. The prince and 1,430 of his servants perished. Earthquake at Riobamba one of the most remarkable earthquakes ever experienced was that which overthrew Riobamba on February 4, 1797. A district 120 miles long and 60 broad was shaken by an undulatory motion, which lasted for four minutes, and a far wider district felt the effects of the disturbance. Within the space first named, in which the movement was more energetic, every town and village was leveled to the ground and many places were buried under large masses flung down from the surrounding mountains. Among these was the flourishing town of Riobamba. Preceded and accompanied by no warning noises whatever, the terrific concussion in a few moments affected the complete desolation of the unhappy district. The earthquake was a singular combination of perpendicular, horizontal, and rotary vibrations. So violent was the perpendicular, or as it may be termed the explosive movement, that hundreds of the wretched inhabitants were flung upon the hill La Kula, several hundred feet high, on the further side of the small river Likan. Then came a horizontal movement, so rapidly succeeding the other, that in many instances the furniture of one house was found beneath the ruins of another. In some cases, property was removed so far from its original place that disputes arose among the survivors of the catastrophe, and the audiencia, or court of justice, was for some time occupied in adjusting these difficulties. Not less remarkable were the effects of the circular or rotary concussions. Walls beyond the town were twisted round without being flung down. Rows of trees which had been parallel were deflected in the most remarkable manner, and the direction of the ridges of fields covered with various kinds of grain was observed to be altered by the effects of the earthquake. Humboldt, it may be mentioned, explains in a somewhat unnatural manner the peculiar effects we have spoken of above. He conceives that the fact of the furniture of one house being found under the ruins of another seems to show that the movement was first directed downwards, then horizontally, and then upwards. This appears to me wholly improbable. In the first place, it has been almost constantly observed that the upward motion in earthquakes which exhibit perpendicular vibrations precedes the downward, and secondly, had the downward motion taken place first, it seems most probable that neighboring houses would have sunk side by side, so that the following horizontal movement would only have resulted in the forms of destruction ordinarily observed in earthquakes. The more natural view seems to be that there was first a violent upward movement, flinging the less firmly built houses bodily upwards and merely destroying others, then immediately followed by a downward movement and a horizontal one, bringing the latter class of houses beneath the falling ruins of the others. Or it may be that so violent was the first upward movement that the upper parts of all buildings were flung into the air, whence, not partaking in the horizontal movement which displaced the foundations and lower part of the houses, over debris of the buildings that they had not belonged to originally. An upward, followed by a downward, and then by a horizontal movement, might result in either form of demolition or in both. A short time after the destruction of Riobamba, a fearful subterranean rumbling resembling the loudest thunder peals 
was heard under the cities of Quito and Ibarra, the former more than a hundred miles from Riobamba. Earthquake Noises The subterranean noises heard during earthquakes are sometimes singularly striking. The nature of the noises is very various, says Humboldt. Rolling, rattling, clanking like chains, occasionally like thunder close at hand, or it is clear and ringing, as if masses of obsidian or other vitrified matters were struck in caverns underground. These noises are not only heard much farther off than they could be if they were transmitted in the air, but they travel much more rapidly. In 1744, when the great eruption of Cotopaxi took place, subterranean noises were heard at Honda on the Rio Madalena. The crater of Cotopaxi, 17,000 feet above the level of Quito, is separated from it by the colossal mountain masses of Quito, Pasto, and Papayan, by innumerable valleys and precipices, and by an actual distance of no less than 500 geographical miles. The eruption which took place in the island of St. Vincent on April 30, 1812, produced subterranean noises resembling the loudest peals of thunder in Caracas, in the plains of Calabozo, and on the banks of the Rio Apure, a distance of upwards of 700 geographical miles. This, in respect of distance, says Humboldt, was as if an eruption of Mount Vesuvius were to be heard in the north of France. But it is remarkable that subterranean rumblings and bellowings are sometimes heard when neither an earthquake nor the kindred phenomenon, a volcano, is in progress. Sonorous phenomena, Humboldt tells us, when accompanied by no perceptible shocks, leave a remarkably deep impression, even with those who have long dwelt in districts subject to repeated earthquakes. A singular instance occurred in the year 1784 in the highlands of Mexico. A sound was heard as of heavily rumbling thunder, alternating with sharp explosive bursts beneath the feet of the startled inhabitants of Guanaxato. The subterranean bellowings and thunderings, bramidos y truenos subterráneos, grew gradually more and more intense, and then decreased as gradually. Terrified by a phenomenon which seemed to forewarn them of an approaching and terrible catastrophe, the inhabitants fled from the town, leaving great piles of silver bars a prey to bands of robbers. But after a time the more courageous returned, and repossessed themselves of their treasure. For one month the subterranean grumblings were heard at intervals, though neither on the surface of the earth nor in the silver mines five hundred yards beneath it was any movement of the earth perceptible. The Earthquake as a Restoring Power We are so in the habit of regarding the earthquake as an agent of destruction that it may sound paradoxical to assert that the phenomenon is surpassed by no other as a regenerative and restorative agent. Yet this is strictly the case. But for earthquakes, our continents would continually, however slowly, diminish in extent through the action of the sea waves upon their borders and of rain and rivers on their interior surfaces. Had the primeval world been constructed as it now exists, says Sir John Herschel, time enough has elapsed and force enough directed to that end has been in activity to have long ago destroyed every vestige of land. It is to the reproductive energy of the Earth's internal forces that we are alone indebted for the very existence of dry land. To the same cause, undoubtedly, we owe that gradual process of change in the configuration of continents and oceans, which has been for ages and still is in progress, a process the benefit derived from which cannot possibly be called in question. Our forests and our fields derive their nourishment from soils prepared for long ages beneath the waves of the ocean. 
our stores of coal and of many other important minerals have been in like manner prepared for our use during the long intervals of their submergence. We build our houses, even, with materials, many of which owe their perfect adaptation to our wants to the manner in which they have been slowly deposited on what was once the bed of ocean, and compressed to a due solidity and firmness of texture beneath its depths. If it is indeed true, as Humboldt asserts, that the destiny of man is in part dependent on the fashion of the outer crust of the globe, on the partitioning of continents, on the direction of the mountain chains which traverse them, and on the distribution of land and water, then we must look upon the earthquake as the most important of those agencies which tend to the renovation of our terrestrial globe. So far from dreading lest the Earth's subterranean forces should acquire new energies, we ought rather to fear lest they should lose their force. We may therefore gladly hail the opinion of the great geologist who asserts that the energy of subterranean movements has always been uniform as regards the whole Earth. The force of earthquakes, adds Lyell, may for a cycle of years have been invariably confined, as it is now, to large but determinate spaces. Gradually, however, this force shifts in position so that other regions, for ages at rest, become, in their turn, the grand theater of action. End of Notes on Earthquakes by Richard A. Proctor Knowledge, February 1886